There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Connecting to the big show. Three, two, one. I felt intimidated in the workplace. I wouldn't want to do that. Like, I'm not out there to upset anybody. We have a finite amount of time. We really are meant to make a difference to other humans' lives. As far as cancer concerns, well, you want a property, so you can't get emergency accommodation. But I can't get into it. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Ah, yeah, we'll throw another six months worth of, of people's money at them two big piles of pallets in, in the city centre. So who cares? It's only it's only the taxpayers' money. We'll we'll keep throwing it at them for another another few months. That's great. And we'll stand over all the decisions that we made, buying the stupid things when everybody else around Europe said, actually, no, if they don't work, we're giving them back. They don't work, we're stuck with them. And should we hold on to them for another six months before we decide what to do with the public's money? God, would drive you mad. By the way, I would also love to see, I'm assuming it exists, I'd also love to see the formal instruction in writing to the council, and if any councillor wants to go after this, I'm thinking in particular John Maher, who was on with me here uh, last week about this, was there a formal instruction to the city council to tell them it's not safe to have a switching on event for the lights on Friday? Because I say it again and I said it yesterday. It is not good enough. We call ourselves a major city. Go through the major cities of Ireland, the major cities of Britain, the major cities across Europe. You will find switching on events for their Christmas lights. I was only looking last night at Belfast. I'm heading up to the Christmas markets in Belfast with the family in early December. They have a big switching on event for their lights. Manchester, Liverpool, London, Oxford Street, Grafton Street, Dublin. They'll all have a big event. But nah, not us. Not us. Well, I would like to see in writing, in writing, where the council was told it's not safe and why. Yeah, I am kind of browned off about it at this stage um, I think lots of other people are too in other stuff this morning what is happening at RTE 400 jobs to go, cutting and slashing and hacking and cuts all over the gaff it'll be fellas who had nothing to do with what went on at the top you know that don't you it'll be people who've just been doing their jobs keeping their heads down, not exactly attracting massive wages and they'll be the ones 
who'll be heading for the door. Not the people who caused all this trouble. Not the people who were involved in flip-flop gate and other things like that. You know that, don't you? Of course you do. If there's anything on it during the morning, we'll come back to that. And all of the breaking news as as it comes into us. But first of all, we are now less than a year. I think, what, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Six, seven months at most away from the local elections. And what's happening is we're having declarations of new candidates all over the place. And now... Uh, another another a councillor has come forward to say that she will not be standing. Last week we heard that uh, councillor Daniel Toomey will not be standing at the next local elections, and now councillor Susan McCarthy from in or around the same neck of the woods, member of the Fine Gael party. Susan, you will not be standing. One of the reasons you cite is obviously more time with friends and family, more time with the look after your family and, and your life, and you're entitled that back after years of service. But one of them is a death threat. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, um, look, the death threat did happen uh, a number of years ago, but I suppose just between that and all the uh, online abuse that you get, that would certainly have been a factor that would have contributed to the decision for sure. You know, um, as you mentioned, it is more to do with kind of the work-life balance and the the, the kind of 24-7 nature of the job. You're always on, as I put it, you know, you're always when you're out and about, you're, you know, people will stop you, whatever. That is the the real crux of it. But certainly online abuse did contribute to it and, and abuse kind of even in general, you know, would have been a contributing factor for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Is abuse a new thing? I mean, how long are you in council, Susan? So I'm coming up on 10 years now. Mm. I would have been first elected in 2014. And you know, when I was elected in 2014, I remember a lot of my colleagues at the time saying, my God, it's really changing. It's really becoming a lot more. You're a lot more exposed because of social media. They were feeling already at that point that there was kind of a, a big, big change in, in the last two or three years only, you know. So definitely social media has had an effect, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but even within that time that I've been elected, PJ, there's been a huge, huge increase, huge increase in in the the, the intensity of 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 the kind of abuse that you get online that's for sure do, do people um, feel but, more entitled these days susan to have a go off you i think that's a big part of it yeah yeah that's you you've hit the nail on the head there's this sense of entitlement that look you're public property you are a public representative therefore you should you should you know you should be accepting this and you should you know this is well why are you even kind of questioning it because you should be getting this type of abuse and that is not really a true reflection. Of course, you should be available. Of course, you should be there to help people. And I think anybody who puts their name on a ballot paper, they're doing it for that reason. They're motivated because they want to help people. They want to build their communities to be a better place than, you know, they want to leave it a better place than what they found it in. That's the whole motivation behind it. It certainly isn't money. You know, I mean, a lot of people think that we're paid a lot. <laughs> I can tell you it's not money that's motivating interest, people Susan, at local what, level, what, you know. What is, and look, it's a publicly available figure, but I'll ask you anyway, what is the current, they call it a stipend, rather than a wage for a sitting councillor? Well, it was 17,000 when I first started in 2014. It is now because we fought a long and hard battle over 10 years. It is now up to, it went up to 24,000. It's now at 28. Minimum wage. So it's a little bit, it's more, yeah, yeah, it's minimum wage. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, um, so you're kind of getting to, you know, a a kind of almost livable wage now whereas it wouldn't have been in the past you mm. would have had to you would have had to work as well as have this job and you know this job is very very demanding of your time so 
you know, a number of male counsellors have also left purely because they're providing, you know, uh, for their families. They need, you know, to keep their full time jobs. They're in a professional job or they've built up their own business. And then, you know, they had, you, you have the, the council work on top of it and it just became untenable, really, you know. Um, mm. So that's that's why, you know, you will get a certain peop- amount of people leaving for the, for that reason as well, you know. Mm. I'm following local politics. I'm following local politics a few years, as I'm sure you know, and it has become more yeah. of a full-time job, I think, for councillors. No on whatever side of the political line you stand, it is more of a full-time job than it ever was now. 100% because now, you know, with the with town councils being gone, you, you work for your town, you work for your area, but you, you have a mandate to work for your entire county as well. Do you know what I mean? So you're, you kind of have a double mandate um, and like any any kind of councillor worth their salt will kind of, they'll have their their statutory meetings, but you'll also have your constituency work. You'll be working a lot for your constituents. You'll be working community development. You'll be working for, you know, a lot of local community groups. You know, you'll be on committees and boards and whatever. And then you have your party work if you are affiliated to a party as well. So there is an awful lot to it that people don't really see behind the scenes you know, so yeah, it is it is full time and then so to be honest. Talk you know. to me talk to me about the, the social media abuse, because you're not the first person to complain of it. Yeah, no, and I it, it's become so so much a part of everyday life to you know, when you're a public representative, so much so that, you know, they even kind of give you kind of a bit of a warning before you commit, you know, you're your party colleagues, they'll get people to talk to you about it just so that you're aware that this is going to happen to you, that you're going to be more exposed. And you're kind of thinking, God, I'm just going to be a local councillor. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> which is not true. It, it, it won't be fine. You will be, you will get a lot of online abuse. And I mean, I, even as a candidate before I ever kind of became an elected member, I remember the night of my launch, I was targeted on Twitter. And it just was relentless. My phone kept lighting up. It kept pinging, pinging, pinging. It kept coming in this this kind of, you know, this kind of attacking, attacking, attacking. And at that time, I wasn't used. To, I'm used to it now, so I don't really give it the same oxygen that I would have at the time. But at the time, I was very upset and I was like, I was afraid to respond. But it just kept coming and coming and coming. And it just, it was just... You know, it was a car crash because then I had to go up and speak, you know, kind of, give, you know, give my speech that night and try to be all kind of, yeah, you know, kind of fueled up and fired up for kind of becoming a public representative. Whereas all day I had been subjected to horrendous, horrendous so, online abuse. So, so you the, were getting it in the neck before your name even appeared on a ballot paper. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just as a just as a as a candidate, you know, just, um, you know, before just as a declared candidate. So that was kind of a taster. So then I knew. But. I kind of worked it out over time and this is what kind of keeps you sane. I kind of worked it out. A lot of these people, they have their own issues. You can kind of see it. If you go into their thing and you see all the other posts they have, you see, okay, look, they're either gone down a rabbit hole or they're just very unhappy people. And you, you kind of have to say, that's not a reflection of me. That's a reflection of them. And you have to start seeing it that way so that you can keep doing your job to the best of your ability and don't let these people drag you down, you know, um, uh, that would be one key thing that I'd like to get out to all f- females in particular that are thinking of running at the next local elections. You know, have that understanding that, you know, I used to park it, especially, you know, canvassing or whatever. If somebody was rude to you at a door and did something nasty, you know, I'd kind of say, walk away and say, well, they're having a bad day, aren't they? You know, mm-hmm. you have to kind what of try kind of and... Stuff? What kind of stuff would you get on mean... the door, Susan, that would make you walk back down the garden path? Oh, I... I 
don't want to kind of yeah like you would get abusive language um you know tearing up the the tearing up the um canvas cars in front in up into your face or you know I, I one incident I, I probably won't go into it online but or sorry on on, on the radio but yeah they can be quite uh, abusive but that said generally speaking the majority of people on doors like when you're canvassing the majority of people are absolutely so polite and so you know receptive even if they're completely different politics to you even if they're angry at your party mm-hmm. most people are quite engaging on the doors I do enjoy canvas that's not really a good example but mm-hmm. there would be the odd few there'll okay. always be the odd few that will will behave very very badly and very inappropriately would you accept that in the last couple of years a lot has happened in this country Susan to make people angry I would contend that there's a lot happening globally that would make people very angry. Um, I think that we are in, in as a country are in a very, very strong position. I think we have, you know, we, we have balanced our books very well. We have increased a lot of social welfare payments. We've done a lot. We're, we're constantly working to improve the lot of, of families mm. and communities. And I think that that is... Coming. Huge housing crisis still. I think a lot. Of, absolutely, there is. And I think, you know, um, there's, you know, you, you see that there's a housing crisis in the UK, there's a housing crisis here. And, you know, I, there is no getting away from that, that we have serious issues with trying to get um, the number that we need up and running as quickly as possible. That is for sure. But it, it you know, in other areas, there have been a lot of kind of, uh, there has been a lot of progress. Um, the housing issue, as I said, is something that is unfortunately even across Europe that it is it is an issue, and I think we're getting there now with our housing targets. They're improving, you know. Um, but yeah, of course, that is an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, housing, just to give you, uh, I suppose, an example of the type of kind of abuse that you would get. I think that a lot of housing applicants need to realise that, you know, councillors can have a certain effect and they can kind of, you know, they can um, advocate for for uh, constituents, you know, to get them a, a social housing unit. But it doesn't mean that we are the ones that hold, you know, no, we're, no. we're not kind of, you know, we're, we're not miracle workers. We can't yeah. just kind of create. I tell a little story. I tell a little story in this year's Hollybow about the legendary Dave Mack of Northside fame, who was a devil for getting houses. On a Monday morning, he'd away about him. You can't do that anymore. No, it's not. It's not. We, we don't, unfortunately, have the the, the housing stock, uh, you know, back uh, as we had back then with the numbers that we had back then. And I think that's the kind of success story. We don't have enough housing because we have, you know, we have net immigration in this country. We have people who want to come into this country because it is such a good country to live in. But unfortunately, our housing stock is far behind that. And we mm-hmm. it, it will take a few years for that to correct itself. But the thing, actually, you know, um, Susan, seeing as you raise it, have you had this thrown at you at all uh, that... Well, we have a huge number of people coming into the country. We always seem to be able to find somewhere for them to live, but we can't find somewhere for our own people to live. It, does it ever get put to you that way? Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case because we have a lot of um, foreign direct investment coming into Cork because Cork in particular is an absolutely fantastic place. We have everything. We have the coast. We have the, the we have the hills and mountains up behind us. We have a fantastic little city that's kind of, you know, no, no, it's what I meant, a lovely what provincial I meant was, city, but it's what very I meant was the immigration, people coming in from oh, other yeah. countries. We always seem to be able to find a place for them, but we can't find a place for the locals. 
Well, even that, we're struggling with that now as well at the moment, as you probably, as, as you know, mm-hmm. um, I suppose. But one thing that I would say to housing applicants that are out there, there's a lot of misinformation being put to you by other people that have an agenda not to have these people coming in. And one of them is that, for example, people that come in from Ukraine can can access social housing. That's actually not the case. They don't get social housing. They have to find rental accommodation or they have to be put into um, collective units together. Um, Accommodation that's laid on by the state. They are not, they are not on, they're not, you know, they don't go on housing lists. They don't go on the housing lists. So they don't get, they don't get council houses. Come back back to yourself though. Will you stay in place until the election? You will. I will. I'll stay in place until the election. I have a lot of unfinished business. I have a lot of things that I want to kind of hopefully kind of get across the line before uh, my term ends. So I will be staying on. Yeah. Mm. And come back lastly to that death threat. I know it was a few years ago. um, But if you look at it, go back a few weeks ago to the disgraceful scenes we had outside Leinster House, that mob that, that gathered. At the time, people were calling me here, observers of politics, I would call them, regular listeners to the show, who say that they fear we're only one move away from a Joe Cox. At the time you got that written threat, did you think of Joe Cox? And did you think, God Almighty, could that happen to me? Of course I did. Um, it did. That did affect me. I, I would be lying if I said it didn't. Um, a lot of the stuff on social media, you know, it might get you for a day or whatever. It, you know, it really affects you. But I think that, that that letter really, really got me. I was not in a good place for a few months after that, actually. Um, did I you was give afraid it to the guards? of my own shadow. Sorry? Did you give it to the guards? I did. I did. But I, I, I was afraid of, you know, I was afraid of coming in at night. As a public representative, you very often go to, put, you know, you go to community meetings, you know, you go to community councils and, you know, different committees and different sports uh, clubs and whatever. At, at night time, you might be invited to an event or an award or you might be invited to a meeting that you have to attend a public meeting or whatever. And then you have your party meetings, your branch meetings, whatever. So sometimes I would be driving home in, in, in the height of winter now. This was as well, I remember. And you'd be coming home at night and it's pitch black and it's cold. It's, you know, it's it's just not a good place to be kind of. We have a very long yard out our back back lane. And so I would have to get out of the car, open the big gate and um, get back into the car, drive up the yard and then walk back down the yard to close the gate. I always remember that. And I used to be absolutely petrified. And I was like, do I ring my husband to come down? This is insane. I'm afraid that somebody's hiding behind the gate. You know, it it, it instilled that fear into me to such an extent that we, actually, we, we ended up getting an electronic gate and it was purely down to that person sending me that death threat. And I mean, you know, I, I this is the thing. People need to realise it is not taken lightly when people put com- commit that type of threat to paper and people need to kind of understand that. Or if they commit it to online commentary as well. One thing I would say is I, do, I want to see more women coming into politics. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very, very important that people who use social media use it in a very measured way and in a very fair way in that they kind of say to themselves before they post something that they might feel a little bit angry about am I directing this at the right person and number two if I were in that person's shoes put yourself in that person's place and say is this is this an appropriate comment to make is this something that I can stand over 
Mm. And then they might think, you know, they really need to think twice about it. They need to look at themselves sometimes um, and say, you know, is this is this something that I would say to that person's face? Is it something that I would like said to my face? And then they might kind of think twice about it and not post okay. the type of commentary that sometimes they do. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Susan, listen, wish you well with the remainder of your tenure uh, as a local councillor. And indeed, uh, when it comes, uh, your, your retirement from local politics, uh, we wish you well with that. That's councillor Susan McCarthy, Fine Gael, a county councillor based in Middleton, who has announced that she will not stand at the next local elections and one of the reasons. There are reasons. She wants to spend more time with her family. She's given it 10 years. She has a lot of other commitments, work-life balance, etc., etc., etc. But one of the reasons is online grief and, in particular, a death threat uh, that she received a number of years ago. 0818969696. Speaking of local councillors, congratulations to a friend of the show, and former Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Colm Kelleher, and indeed another friend of the show and a friend of mine in Emers for a few years now, Sandra Murphy. Uh, they got engaged yesterday. Thrill for them, and we wish them well. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. You want the biggest hits? Yeah, we are really hooked on this now. Oh, this song is class. Oh, my God. When I just heard it down, I got into the car and just bought it right back. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. Hit mix. On Cork's 96 FM. I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Cork's 96 FM. Kate rang City Hall yesterday to advocate for a Christmas lights switch on event. Uh, she got a phone call back from the Lord Mayor himself. He rang her at half six in the evening. Fair due to him for that, says Kate. Unfortunately, he wasn't inclined to be in favour of an event. He cited insurance and he cited safety. But I couldn't get over that he rang me back in person. Thanks for that, Kate. Yeah, I'd love to know, you know, if they're making this decision on the basis of safety and if that's what they told the meeting last night, and if that's the line that's coming out of City Hall as to why we can't have a nice event to uh, kick off our Christmas lights in town when every other town and every other major city worthy of the name of major city is doing it. If everybody else is doing it, why can't we? Wouldn't it be lovely to see a copy? Because one has to exist. Wouldn't it be lovely to see a copy of the risk assessment or a copy of the report that recommended it was unsafe to have an official launch. Wouldn't it be lovely to see that? Because there's got to be, if they're making a decision on the basis of safety, someone's told them it's not safe. Someone's put that in writing. Can we see that? I'd love to see it. 0818 96 96 96. I'm probably screaming into the clouds, but sure, I'll continue to scream. Quick mention has to do this. St. Mary's Special School in Rochestown. They have an open evening next Monday, November 20th. It's for parents who may wish to apply for a, ca- a place in the school for September 2024. Uh, the tea and coffee, 
a chat with professionals, chat with current parents at the school. It's an open session. All are welcome. Half three. About an hour. Half three. St Mary's Special School in Rochestown next Monday, 20th November, if that's what you are interested in. Just said, I'd bring it to you. Now, I love reading Timothy O'Mahony's weekly column in The Echo, Corkonians Abroad. He's finding Cork people all over the world who've moved on from Cork, still love the place dearly, but are making their way and living their best life in other parts of the world. (laughs) And I'm amazed at the number of people Timothy's finding that I actually know. Um, This week, it's Stephen Lynch. Now, Stephen is uh, from the north side of the city, but he's now based in Imperial Valley in California. Um, He went to the States around 2012. But (laughs) when when I saw the picture, uh, Stephen, I said, for goodness sake, that's, that's Stephen who used to be the DJ in Brannigan's. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me. Yeah, spot on Brannigan's. I, I was in there for the bones of eight years. So, yeah, yeah, great times, great times. Spinning tunes and a spark as well. And then you headed off to Crete. I did. I used to go to Crete for the summer sometimes just to just to do a bit of DJing and get a bit of sunshine. Yeah, I used to spend some summers out there. really enjoyed my time out there as well. Great, great experience, you know, to... Get away and experience different cultures and, you know, play music, do the thing you love, you know. And did you try settling in Crete? I know someone actually has done that recently. Did, did you try settling in Crete? The last summer there, um, I, I was considering staying for the winter. So that would have been my first attempt at probably trying to stay there outside of the summer. But um, between the jigs and the reels, I, I got the opportunity to come to the US. So I didn't. But that that would have probably been the time I considered it, maybe 2011. I, I, I stayed for an extra month, you know, and I was kind of thinking, you know, there's not much going on back home. Will I, will I stay for the winter here and even do some electrical work or something, you know? Yeah, because you are a spark by trade and you'd kind of moved away from it, was it, had you? I, I, I did. I, I When I got qualified there, like it was around 2008 and, you know, there wasn't much going on. And even when there was work going on, like, I, I mean, I suppose business is business. Pe- people weren't really paying qualified rates. You know, you'd be getting offered second or third year money for a, for a qualified spark just to get on a job. But so luckily I had the DJ and it kept me going money wise because I, I was doing, you know, two to four nights a week there and it was it was kind of handy. But yeah, I just lost a bit of interest in it towards the end. But, you know, to this day, it's after standing to me. So I was obviously able to, have, to fall back in it, you know. So you went, was it Vegas first? Like that's jumping right into the deep end. Yeah, going straight into the deep end is spot on. Yeah, I got an opportunity to go to the US and like the location I was given was Las Vegas because the the company there had they did they're Irish they're Irish owned but they're American based Irish bars and restaurants and uh, it was kind of hospitality visas what I got and I got to go experience their new location. So yeah, it threw me right into the deep end. Did you go as a DJ or did you go as an electrical? No, no, I I, I actually got the the visa as a hospitality visa. I went as a bartender, so right. that's how we like. like yeah, because of the way the visas work. But I, I said I'd give it a go, you know, because like it was something different and um I really actually enjoyed it. But the owner, the company knew I was an electrician, so I wasn't actually there long and they approached me to go working with them as a spark. So like I was in Ve- I was I was still living in Vegas. I was there for about two years, two and a half years, and but I did end up travelling with them and I I helped build some of their other bars across the country as well. We have a mutual friend, Roy Buckley, who's over at back to Vegas. We do quite, quite a bit. <laughs> what is it is it as mad as it looks? 
It it is to be honest. I, I like there's no there's no reason to sugarcoat it. Like it is a mad mad place, but like it's thoroughly enjoyable. You know, like I I would recommend anybody go there and experience it. But like when you live there or if you go there frequently, it can get it can get kind of old. But like if it's somebody if somebody's deciding, you know, I'd love to go there, I I recommend everybody going to see it. But you know, it can get old quick. Like when you're living there, or even Rai, like Rai goes quite frequently. You know, yeah. so he's like a, he's like a local there at this stage. But you know, he'd probably tell you the same thing. He you know, he probably has quieter days now than he did when he first went there. You know? I, I was reading a book recently based that's based in Vegas, and, and there was a very funny exchange between two detectives. One who had been there all his life, and his partner was new, and she said they would get a bit of quiet time. He goes, "This is Vegas, baby." How <laughs> <laughs> how fitting the terminology. <laughs> You know, but but to, to be to be honest, if you ever fly in there, like you get to see the size of Vegas. Like outside of the Strip, there's people living regular lives that never even look at the Strip or drive past there. You know, so like there's a city outside the city that everybody knows as well. You know, it's a bit like Ibiza, really, when you think about it, because Ibiza is all about True. one well, one square mile, and the rest is just a very quiet place. My brother and his uh, his girlfriend and the kids go there nearly every year and they obviously go to the family side of it and, you know, never see the party side of it or the island that, you know, maybe I'd know as a DJ or what. But yeah, completely different side to the island that people don't really know that's there, you know. So how did you end up going from Vegas to California and end up married to a Mexican? Uh, yeah, that's uh, so. We actually met in Las Vegas. Uh, my my wife's actually born on St. Patrick's Day. She's she's uh, Mexican American, but she's born on St. Patrick's Day. So we 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 adopted her beforehand. She's one of her own. So, um, we we met out there and and during her birthday weekend, and we kind of start we hit it off right away. Started dating, and you know, with me traveling for work at the time, I could have lived anywhere. Yeah. And her family is where the kind of base where we live now. So it just made more sense for me to move down there. So I moved down there and I stayed traveling for a while for work but uh, ultimately got into solar and settled down here now where we live we've been here now for, for nine years in this place but I've been in the States for, for 11 in total You're in solar energy like in California I'd say there's no shortage of solar energy Absolutely it's, it, it's massive it's 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 taken over the state actually California kind of had a burst a few years ago and now the burst is in Texas but similar weather like they probably get worse weather in the winter but the summertime is great there but California is covered in solar now where where I live there's one highway you can drive down and it's like the solar highway left and right is all solar panels you know plenty sunshine of course like what's the weather like as as we speak here we are in the November it's getting cold and damp here at home what's it like in uh, California so right now where I am, we get really good weather. Like this is actually kind of our summer because the summertime here gets extremely hot. Like we're we're east of San Diego, so we're we're kind of in the mountains, uh, or on the other side of the mountains. So we don't get any sea breeze. So like the the temperature for us gets up to forty degrees in the summertime, right? Which is it sounds nice when you're on vacation, but when you're living day to day life, it's a uh, you know, it's it's unbearable at times. But then, like right now, it's seventy three degrees. So what, what would that be? That's probably twenty two. About 22, exactly, yeah. So a lovely weather today, you know, you know, like this is this is the time we enjoy. 22 is lovely. 22 is like early June, walking down Panna and stopping for an open-air point. And a... Do you miss Cork? Absolutely. I was only home not too long ago there because my, my mother was 70, so we, we had a little party for down in Quinlan's there. And uh, it was nice to, you know, walk down Panna, have a point in the Chateau, and uh, yeah, it was it was lovely. I do miss Cork. I miss my family and friends, you know. And like the US culture is a little different, you know. Yeah. Like you, you, I settled in, and you know, I 
you know, I adapt obviously, but like you would miss home and you'd miss some of the culture from home, definitely, you know. Yeah. You've you've Mexican culture in your life as well too, because what's your name by the way, your wife's name? My wife's name is Fernanda, Fernanda Maria Fernanda Lynch, Lynch she is now, but yeah, Robles was her uh, her maiden name. You you live so close to the border, you often pop to Mexico for dinner. Like, get away. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a bit surreal, you know, if, like like if you're not used to it. But yeah, we're about 15 minutes drive from the border to Mexicali. And yeah, the food is like, like America is America. You know, you've all the big chains here. Like there's some small mom and, mom and pop shops here that we'd go to as well. But, you know, sometimes we get a bug for tacos or but like Mexico is there's there's a million people across the border and where I live, there's like a hundred thousand people. So when you cross over, you're going into a new world and like the, the amount of food vendors on the streets and even the restaurants and stuff is, you know, you're spoiled for choice, you know? So yeah, it's really convenient when you have the, like the, the, the century pass we have to cross the border. So That's you cool. don't have to make the lines to come back or anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what does she do for work? She is a public information officer for the school district here locally. So she actually used to be a journalist. She used to be an anchor on TV and be a TV reporter. She used to work for Telemundo. So used to do English and Spanish um, on, on TV. And then just really her passion is communication. So she wanted to get into public information. So just recently took up the new role there um, with the district here. I imagine your Spanish must be fairly good, so... It's uh, it's it's all right, you know. I can get by to order some uh, some food, food and beer and and things like that. But I, I, I'm definitely not fluent, you know. It's intimidating, actually. Like when you, when when I'm around her and her family, you know, they talk and they talk so quickly. Yeah. Like I'll be I'll be sixty seconds behind trying to understand the conversation, you know, <laughs> and they're already on to the next one. That's a bit like a fella visiting visiting Farinri for the first time. You know what? She, she she had the same issue when she first came to Cork. When I this is years ago, no, but you know, trying to pick up the slang and like I have to adjust some of my words. No, living here and slow down the speech a little bit. But you know, when I went home and like was talking to my friends, like it was like a foreign language to her. You know. No, you you got back into the music and launched a record I did, label. Yeah. And the picture on the Echo, you are pictured with one of one of my music heroes. How the heck did you become buddies with Todd Terry? Yeah, Todd, Todd's a, a, a legend, obviously a well known in Cork, like like you said, there you know, a favourite of a lot of people. But um, so I launched the label during Miami Music Week, and kind of long story short, I I was trying to get a headliner for it because we did it in the the surf corner, which is kind of iconic for Miami Music Week events, and um, you know, we just needed a big name, and for me, I needed somebody to kind of put the lay get the label out there, like with with a big name, and it was actually through a friend of mine, Willie Rosado. Um, who is from New York originally, um, knew Todd and said to me, I was actually looking originally at like Junior Sanchez and Todd Terry because Junior Sanchez had done a remix for me and Junior's another legend, you know, a remix yeah. for Madonna and all that. So um, Willie said, do you want me to give Todd a call? And I, I didn't really honestly think it was going to be feasible because he's usually, you know, booked up solid, but the event was on a Wednesday and he was available and he said he'd do it. He really did it for Willie and then we met and, you know, really nice guy, really down to earth, did a great, put on a great show and even this year then when we went back, we kept in touch, we went back to Miami Music Week this week, this year, hanging out with him again, absolute legend, salt of the earth type of guy and super talent. You went back to school, didn't you, to, to make more of your music and of your love of music? I, I did because I, I got into production, you know, 10, 12 years ago, but like 
I, I was kind of getting the bug to go back and said, right, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I was going to enroll in Point Blank Music School and I actually ended up winning a producer competition and they gave me the certificate course for free. Um, as part of the prize, but I was going to enroll anyway, so I saved myself like a couple of grand there by by entering the competition. Cool. And um, I did. I was in there for uh, it was nine month course, so I did that, graduated that, and yeah, just put you know full steam ahead making music and getting it out there, and and ultimately then launch my own label because you know trying to send demos out can be restrictive on your your release schedule and and time. Like I, I had one record there, it took two years to get out, you know, so I kind of said, right, I need to take a bit more control of this myself and started uh, my own label. Yeah, and you have stuff coming out, is it in the next week or two? Yeah, I just, I had a track out there. We we were lucky enough there to get a release to number one recently, which was fantastic on, on Beatport. So um, that was a release with another couple of guys. But yeah, I, I have some music coming out next Friday on a, another American California-based label called Late Night Munchies. That's Deep House, actually, and probably would appeal to the, the Fish Go Deep fans because it's really oh, traditional Deep House. Kind of a Henry's vibe, like, from long ago. A, a total Henry's vibe on this one, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, it's probably the furthest I've gone from my own kind of house and tech house style of late but yeah really really Henry's fish go deep style is what what can be expected on that one do you pinch yourself from time to time Stephen I, I don't, but I'm told I should. I, I, have a, I have a buddy there back home that I make music with as well, uh, Rob James. Um, you, you might remember him from winning the Heineken Turf competition yeah. with Tiesto and Pete Tong. Um, but he tells me all the time, do you, ever, like, do you ever take a step back and look what you've done so far? And to be honest, I don't, because I suppose I'm a bit afraid that if I, if I think I've got to a certain level, then I'll stop and really like the way I'm wired is to, to keep driving forward, you know? It's great to catch up. With you, I'm looking Absolutely. at a photograph of yourself and, and your wife, and you, you, have a, you have a daughter. How old is she, Mariela? She's uh, she's 15 now. She just turned 15. So we in Mexican culture, they, they have the the quinceanera, which yeah. is a big big party. It's re- there's a re- religious side to it as well, but we did that in May. She did that with her cousin, so it was like it was like it was like another wedding, to be honest. <laughs> um, so my my mother and sister were over for that as well. We had a big party in May for that, but. Yeah, she's in the teenage years now, so that's another challenge of my life. God help you. I know, I know. I tell my mother all the time, I'm paying for my own sins with with, with her, but no, she's great, great, great age, and she, you know, she's involved in sport now and everything. I, I'd love her to get into the music. She's She did a bit of drums and guitar, but uh, I'm not trying to push it on her, but she's she's athletic and she's doing running and soccer now as well, so yeah, she'll, she'll, she'll be all right, I think. Fabulous. I take it you will be over there rather than over here for Christmas in a few weeks' time? I will. I won't be able to get home this year, but I, I am due a Christmas at home soon. But I, I'll be home in June again, you see, because I have a buddy getting married. So um, we're all coming home for that. I'm I'm in the wedding as well. So um, we'll be home in June again. But yeah, Christmas. I haven't been home for Christmas in a few years. And I do miss Christmas at home as well. You know, there's always a great vibe around the city. And, yeah. you know, it's just a great time of year to be with family and friends, you know. So what will you do? How would you celebrate? Um, we we usually go out to Mexico actually, um, because my most of my wife's family is here where we live, but she has two sisters that live in Los Angeles, and they come down, and usually everybody gets together for the the two weeks across the border at the the family house. You know, sounds cool. Great catching up with you after all these years, Stephen. And I am jealous as anything, man. Take care. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, PJ. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me on.
You're welcome, my friend. You're welcome. I, for anyone who ever wondered what happened to Lynchy, the DJ in Brannikins, there he is. He's running solar power all over California, and he gigs with Todd Terry on the side. Like, talk about falling on you. Oh, and he's married to a gorgeous Mexican woman, and they go for dinner in Mexico, just at the top of a hat. Talk about having a cool life, eh? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. The Big Drive Home with Izzy Showbizzy. On Chords 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 pm where I'll play your favourite song, even if you don't know the name of it. Could you play that song that goes, uh, I adore you, do, 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 do. I adore you? I'll be making your day with more amazing giveaways. Are you ready to give Amy some good news? Thank you. <laughs> and we'll have Oak Fire Pizza vouchers up for grabs for choosing a tune on the takeover. So join me weekdays from 4 pm. The Big Drive Home you can drive me With Clonacilty Food Company Spikeball, tacos, pizza Clonacilty Black Pudding is the making of any meal So go on, be a rebel Cork's 96 FM 96 FM Asked to mention and happy to do so Today is World Diabetes Day The quad in UCC will be lit up blue And so will the theatre building be lit up blue Again, for World Diabetes Day Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Just catching up on some of your correspondence from yesterday. We were talking to Annette about her really narrow one and only for um, her carbon monoxide alarm. She might not have been having that conversation with me yesterday. You'll catch it on podcast if you want to go looking for it. you find all our podcasts. There's a list of them on the 96FM app. couple of responses on the topic of carbon monoxide alarms. Did you know there is a part in them that goes out of date? And when it does, you have to throw out the whole unit. I didn't know this until I asked the fire brigade, because mine had started to go off. They told me about it. The modern ones last about 10 years, but some of the older ones only last three or five. And it can go off, like there's carbon monoxide in the house when it's out of date. And on smokeless fuel, which Annette thought was part of her problem, um, yes, those smokeless fuels are lethal. My room filled up with smoke last week. The smokeless nuggets just go red. They don't flame. I think we were better off with coal, even though the greens won't have it in their way anymore. I don't know if you follow Reddit. It's one of those social media platforms. Not one that people talk about a lot, but when you're on it, you'll find interesting stuff that you won't find elsewhere. And it has a whole section on Cork, it has a whole section on Ireland, but a whole section on Cork has read it. This came up, we'd love to talk to this person um, and maybe dig a little bit deeper into the things they're saying. But there's a few things that bother me about living in Ireland in general. I know there are many amazing places to see, but I just can't afford a car, so I just bounce around Cork all the time. I used to go for a few days every year to West Cork, my most beloved place in the world, just to decompress in silence and nature. But when the converted shed I'd been renting on Airbnb went from €50 a night to 135 I just stopped being able to afford it. Hell with the current rent... Even a trip to Cross Avon or Kinsale and having a takeaway coffee and a cake 
You need to budget to plan that. And the city itself, well, I'm just exhausted with it. There are very few parks or anywhere where you can go with just without paying, just enjoy yourself, just exist without paying. By the time I finish work, all the cafes are closed. Everywhere I go, there are drug addicts, chavs, and gangs of violent teenagers screaming their heads off, blasting crap out of Bluetooth speakers. I used to love this city madly, but it feels like over the years it's just been decomposing slowly on every level. And between this and the price of everything, it feels more like a death trap. The only time I can ever get some mental rest, funnily enough, is when I go to a cemetery. Now, we'd love to talk to the person who wrote that thread on Reddit and maybe dig a little bit more into what's bothering them. But this, the pr- price of the accommodation that they used to go to in West Cork rocketed from €50 Euro a night to nearly 135 But about the city centre, everywhere I go, there are drug addicts, chavs and gangs of violent teens screaming their heads off, blasting crap out of Bluetooth speakers. I used to love the city madly, but it feels like it's just slowly decomposing on every level. Strong words. City he used to love, slowly decomposing on every level. I'd love to know what you think about that. Speaking of the city, I brought up the issue of the Christmas lights. I will continue to bring up the issue of the Christmas lights. They'll get away with it this year. There will be no Christmas lights event this year. It's a disgrace. It's not good enough. But John Maher was on, in fairness. John's been very supportive of getting a lights event. He said they had an update last evening on safety and funding. And he stressed that in 2024, the city must do better. And he will raise it again come January 2024. Mr. Mess just this morning to let us know that. All right. Not good enough that we have no Christmas lights switch on this year. Not good enough at all. Another Lord Mayor. Uh, spoke to Kate, one of our callers, rang Kate personally last evening and said, look, it's not going to happen, safety, etc., etc., etc. I want to know who told them it's not safe. I'd like to know that. Who told them it's not safe? 0818-969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96 FM. A couple of stories in the news this morning in the papers that uh, generally keep an eye to. Um, We broke the story, of course, last weekend about that incident at the school in Formoy. Mary called us to say her youngster had been distressed about it and... When we dug into it, it was quite a distressing incident. In fact, it was a bigger incident than we thought. Four children um, were attended by the emergency services. Guards were called. Stuff was taken for forensic examination. All this we got from the guard, the press office, and indeed the school were quite cooperative with us. It seems that there was vaping going on, and it appears that there was something in those vapes that shouldn't have been there. We know there's a vaping incident in the school. There's a vaping problem in the school. We all also know that. 
from Mary's call. Seeing on the front page of the examiner today, Lynn's Dunphy is writing about Professor Eamon Keenan, who is the HSE's National Clinical Lead for Addiction Services. And he says there have been about 20 incidents like this reported up and down the country. Cannabis-infused or synthetic cannabis-infused vapes. And he's talking about a new cannabinoid, which is an artificial cannabinoid called HHC. And he's warning us to be aware of it. He's warning medical professionals to be aware of it. Um, and that it is getting into vapes and being used um, in vaping. So, and, and that's not the first time he's heard of incidents like what happened in Fomoy last week. We also got uh, calls, additional calls in the last day or two to say that the school was asked about these problems or that these problems were brought to the school's attention months ago. We've asked the school for a statement on that and we let you know what they come back with. Something else in the paper this morning. How much do you intend to spend on shopping this year? Pennies have done a survey where they found, I don't know how many people they surveyed, but they found that of those they asked, about half of them will spend about half what they did last year on presents. They just don't have the money. The average spend last year, about 1,200 quid, what? Will drop to just under six this year. Uh, A lot of people will just buy vouchers. 60% of the people they asked will just buy vouchers. Um, some people will just donate to charity, not do any gifts. And the Consumers Association, Dermot Jewell, the boss there, says many people just won't have a lot of money to spend this year because of more big fuel bills. They're increasing the VAT. And we don't know what the gas and electric will bring us in the next few weeks or months. So people are going to hold on to their money because they got rightly stung last year with massive gas and electricity bills after Christmas. And some people just, other than the kids, they won't be buying presents for anybody this year or buying very small presents or maybe sometimes doing a Kris Kringle where you're given one name in the family circle and you buy a present for them. All that research coming from from Pennies and the Consumer Association reported in Extra.ie. Your thoughts are welcome at 0818969696. Now, are we addicted to our smartphones? I think we are. I think we were years ago. Uh, Jennifer Horgan was writing about this in uh, The Examiner. Jennifer, it was on board a ferry. You finally realised, hang on, we have a problem here. Morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, look, like you, I think I've known for a while. Um, But I don't know, there was something just exceptionally eerie about the setting. Because as a child, I used to get the ferry to France. Yeah. With my family. And I just I just remember it being like such an exciting time and yeah. the, the whole ferry would be buzzing, everybody chatting, there you know, such energy like and then I was we were we went to Liverpool and it was on the ferry back from Hollyhead. Um and myself and my son were playing cards and I was conscious to bring the cards because I knew my son's 13. I knew that if we didn't bring the cards, we'd end up on the phone. So that was like my my defense. So I had that pack of cards. Um we were playing the cards and he was kind of, he was just sort of saying, oh, you know, stop putting down aces. We were playing crazy eights. And I sort of had a moment where I was like, oh no, he's shouting. I better tell him to be quiet. Um, and then I realized it wasn't that he was shouting. It was just that we were the only people 
communication in the entire section. Like there was, I counted 37 people when I got up and had to look around. And, you know, there were all sorts of different groups of people. Um, there were other parents and children and just they were all on their phones. Um, There's two people asleep. And the fact that they were on their phones, it meant that they weren't even looking up at people passing. You know, there was just, they were just, some had their hoods up. It was just like, oh my, and I just had this moment. I was like, what's happening to us? Um, I'd been reading a book as well. Um, uh, Why Cicero Matters. It's all about Cicero. And he thinks that, you know, what makes us human is our search for truth and our need for connection. And I just kind of, I just put down the book when I was uh, coming from the car. And so I had that kind of percolating and I was like, those two things are being lost. Um, We know we can't rely on truth scrolling through our phones, um, but it's the connection thing for me, even that lack of eye contact. I I remember Um, going over on on ferries and, and, and it was great fun because you could meet anybody on a ferry and you could make a new friend on a ferry. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, you know, or on a bus or a train at the same time. Or on, well, not so much on a plane because everyone it. has to sit down. But uh, it was not. There was nothing. I going know. On. It's, it's those little interactions, like at bus stops and stuff. You know, like those kind of. That's the you know, I don't know. It's just I think it's so important for us as people. It's so fundamental, mm. and it really scares me to to see it um, but the thing that annoys me as well is I, th- I feel like at the moment we're really pointing the finger at young people when it comes to phone usage and I think we really need to realise that we're all part of it and schools aren't going to fix it you know this whole thing about banning phones mm-hmm. it's it's so much more than that it's 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 how they're how they are at home you know how much time they're spending on their screen we're as guilty as they are Jennifer when you think about it really like if I take the bus to town I'm straight on the phone the minute the bus moves off. I'm re- Okay, I'm reading the paper, yeah. probably. But I'm doing it on yeah. my phone. Uh, you know, yeah. Or I have a Kindle that goes everywhere with me. So I'm reading a book. Yeah, I, I could yeah. be accused of being antisocial. Um, I don't know when the last time I started a conversation with a stranger. I, it's, yeah. almost, it's almost gone. I know, and I think that we were... I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overly kind of romanticising us, but I think we were particularly good at it, Irish people, you know, like I've lived abroad, I've lived in other places yeah. and it was the thing I missed most, like living in London, you know, everyone obviously has their heads down, they don't look at each other, they don't talk and, I, you know, I always found that really odd because obviously in Ireland you would, and, but now sure we're the same. Mm. We hear so much There's talk no... from psychologists and I, I'm not one and I don't know whether you are, but... We hear so much talk. You read philosophy. <laughs> so yeah. you do more than I do on an intellectual level, but that way. But like, with so many young people these days who are isolated, anxious, afraid almost. And is it anyone? I'd be inclined to think maybe the smartphone has an amount to do with that. They're in their own tiny little bubble and they're almost afraid to break out of it. Absolutely, PJ. I think like it's movement and connection. They're the two things we need in our development. Like, and you know, you see two-year-olds now with with screens. Um, it's scary, but I think that we need to own up to it and just be really and honest about it and, and help each other. And like I have friends now who are, you know, they're keeping an eye on their usage across a week, and they're they've, they've targets to try and reduce it. Um, I'm turning off my phone at nine o'clock at night. I think like. We we need to just all kind of try and 
encourage each other and ourselves. Um, and I, I don't know, like, but I remember there was a pub, the pub High B in Cork years ago. I remember it well. Not, yeah, yeah. yeah, you weren't allowed to have your phone. Like, I would absolutely welcome that again. It's still there. I, know, I, I don't know how. It's still it, there. Today, I th- do, are, you, are you allowed to have your phone now? You're not allowed to have your phone on the high beam. You're not? No. Okay, brilliant. Well, I think we need more of that because I think we need help. I don't think, like, I don't think this is something we're going to manage on our own and we're not managing it. We're in denial. I'd love to see some phone free. One of my favourite shows is the Gilmore Girls. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've seen it. (laughs) Luke Luke in the diner has a no mobile phone sign. Um, That's what I'd like to see. What did we do when we didn't have a phone to occupy our every moment? What did we do? I know. We were bored and that's a, it's a good thing to be. Mm, we just, just like to be a bit bored oh, and, yeah. to, and to, to think. And, well, you, you know, know what we had, Jennifer? And I, I look I look around now and thankfully I see my daughter, who's a very wise young woman, has this. And I know she's got it from myself and her mother because we both treasure the sheer joy of doing nothing. Yeah. The absolute joy of doing nothing. For me, sitting sitting in my garden on a Saturday morning in the summertime with nothing in front of me except coffee listening to the morning mm. and we have to get that back don't we we do but I I think it's harder than we think like you know I think we've I do think as we said like we're, di- we're addicted but I think maybe we need to look at that word a little bit more seriously like it's not oh, just right. kind of a throwaway addiction no no because we are with the light addicted. you know when you open up your screen that light that comes off it yeah that triggers an endorphin. We know that. Psychologists and experts have told us that. Yeah. There is an addiction here. Yeah. It's like a, I think it's like a dummy for a baby. You know, like when you leave the house, when you're a parent of a young child and you realise you've forgotten the dummy. Mm-hmm. It's that feeling. It's like sheer panic. You know, I can't. Um, and it's absolutely that way for teenagers as well. It's just a part of their life now. Um, mm. And I think we need to help them rather than maybe... Do, do you talk the, to your own lads about it? Yeah, absolutely. Like I have a, my, do you mean my own kids or my own students? Yeah, your own, your own kids for a start. My, my own, yeah. So I have a 13 and an 11 year old and an 8 year old. God so my bless you and spare you. Got, God help you. God help yeah. you. <laughs> he got his phone this year. So he just started secondary school. Um, so yeah, we definitely talk about it. He doesn't have it up in his, the main thing for me is not having it in their room, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't think like it's not even it's not fair for them because they can't stop themselves just like we can't. So, um, yeah, and my my 11 year old then doesn't have a phone yet, but, I, you know, she's on the she's on the cusp. She'll be going to secondary school in a couple of years, which I see is the kind of the time then you, yeah. you sort of I think so. Secondary school. I mean, it'd be very unusual now for a child not to have a phone in secondary school. And yeah. I suppose you'd be conscious of not marking them out from everyone else. Um, but I think. Like he has a phone, but I don't want him to have Snapchat or any of the social media. He has WhatsApp, mm-hmm. um, but even that I'd reduce him to, to maybe just his groups. I've, I've always said to him, keep your groups really small. The big groups are the dangers. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's more about educating them on how to, to deal with their phone and how to manage it and, and just to be aware of its impact rather than, you know, there's a whole other conversation was being had last week. You, you, you've no doubt were aware of what the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, was saying yes. last week, that she's yeah. encouraging parents not to buy smartphones yes. for their children. 
Now, I thought she was copping out a little bit instead of just turning around and saying, as Minister for Education, I am instructing that there shall be no smartphones in primary schools. Do you think she she should have gone that far? The thing is, I, I think she's doing a good job, to be honest, because I think she's focusing on parents in this rather than the schools. And, and that's they're, they're the people who fundamentally are, you know, uh, in charge of the, the, the children. Um, it's very difficult because the, the the parent in Ireland is the primary educator. They have a yeah. lot of rights, yeah. uh, you know, so she actually kind of can't. Um, you, I mean, the schools, you, your primary schools, you're not, you, most primary schools, the children won't be allowed to bring the, the, the mobile phone onto, yeah. into the school. Yeah. So that's kind of done already. So she can't say you don't have the freedom to buy your child a phone. That's just not. No, no, she but she could, limits. she could complete, she could say to the primary school sector that there will be no school, no phones brought to school. She, she stepped back from that. I thought she stepped back from that one. Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm secondary, so I suppose I'm very much in that head, yeah. but I, I would have thought that most primary schools wouldn't allow a phone in the school. That that would have been my understanding. It's an interesting survey. Um, I wonder what the story is. A lot of them don't. I, I, I know that. But come back to, come back to your, your, your thoughts on, on, on addiction. Your own students then in secondary school. Yeah. Like, do, do you find them in the, car, in the corridors clung to phones? Are they less chatty than no, they I, used to be? No, they're not. I like I I I'm a huge fan of teenagers. They're brilliant. Yeah, they're fantastic. They are full of chat. They have. They're so much more aware of the world and what's going on, and they're so interesting um, and funny. And I don't think mm. we need to be downbeat about teenagers, but Good. I think we do have to accept that phones are an absolute. In, you know, they're an integral part of their lives now. Um, we're an iPad school, so they have iPads in class. So we don't really see, I think, that much of an issue in class because they're just not allowed to have their phones. So we're not meant to see their phones. That's the kind of rule, you know. Um, they'll have them in their pockets or their bags, but we're not meant to see them. And if we do, they're taken from them and they get them at the end of, of the school day. And it's no big deal. You know, it's kind of like, no, we'll take that, we'll give back to you at the end of the day. It's not a big conflict. Now, the one issue we do have, and I think all schools will suffer from this, is where a child will ask to go to the bathroom and then you're like, okay, they've been there 10 minutes and, you know, the fear is they're on their phone because they've their phone in their pocket. Um, mm. That's the difficulty. It's not actually when they're in the classroom. Yeah. So... At, break, at break time, do they wander around the yard stuck in the phone? No, they wouldn't. They're not allowed. Oh, no, they're, not allowed. they're not allowed on their phone. No, and and they're not allowed on their iPads at break time, lunchtime. That's social time, so they're talking to each other. Good. Um, so the only thing is the bathroom, um, and you do have, you know, I I don't know if you, I think you spoke with Carl Hegarty. He has that the phone away box, you know, that the the boxes, the clear boxes they put yes. in the lockers. Yes, that's a while yeah. back now. Yeah, and I thought that I think that's a good compromise because you're acknowledging that they have phones, um, and you just make sure that when they're in class. Their, their, their phone is in their box and they are allowed to look at it at break and lunch if they want to check in. I think that's a good compromise. But the issue as well is that a, technology is now part of education. So yeah. we have iPads. So we always have technology in the classroom. Other schools that don't have technology, they may very well want to use the phones at times. Yeah. Um, so you're actually going to, and I think the unions were saying this as well, you're going to disadvantage the schools without technology if you do a blanket no phone ban. Fair point, fair point. 
fair point. Someone said to me one time, I'll finish with this one, Jennifer, you know, when I was moaning a bit about the obsession with phones, somebody said to me, PJ, go back to your own younger days. There weren't any mobile phones or what they were were big blocks of concrete. You were never without a book. And it's true. I was never without a book, either in my hand or in my pocket, or I carried a book with me. I was always in a book. Mm. The phone is what they have today. Is that a fair comparison? I don't think so. No? Um, no, just in terms of what we know, like we've just talked about, like the damaging impact of the phone. It's it's what they're doing on the phone. It's the yeah. social media. It's, yeah. the, it's the kind of constant, you should look like this, you should buy this, you yeah. should dislike this person, you should. There wasn't, you know, a book is a safer place. It's True. It's... You know, when you're using your imagination and look, I, 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 I absolutely, I think technology is wonderful and I use it in the classroom all the time. And I think there are huge benefits and we can't just put clothes back Pandora's mm. box, you know, like it's it's there. Mm. It's a part of our world, mm. but we can't ignore the negatives. Yeah. The toothpaste is out of the tube. We just have to make sure it doesn't make too big a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And help each other and, and, and be honest about it, I think. Yeah. All right. Jennifer, thank you. Jennifer Hawkins piece is in The Examiner. Uh, the book she talks about, Why Cicero Matters, uh, was written by a man called Vittorio Buffati, who I believe is still based at UCC. Most entertaining gentleman. I had him on the show a couple of times. Thank you, Jennifer. 0818 96 96 96. On the Christmas lights, Lisa says, why can't the city just do a ticketed event? Uh, so there'd be crowd control. Then the issue of safety will be taken care of. You see, Lisa, those are the kind of good ideas that should be tossed around in City Hall and dealt with. But they're not. They're not. They just said... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. No, we're just not doing it. We're just not doing it. And they'll say, down to health and safety. And I want... I, uh, look, I'm stirring. Of course I'm stirring. Where's the instruction? What instruction was issued? What instruction was given to City Hall that holding an event this year would not be safe? That holding an event this year would be problematic for safety reasons? What instruction was given? 
by and by whom? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks ninety six FM. John was listening to my conversation there before the break with Jennifer. Morning, John. Good morning, TJ. How are you? Good. Um, I just I thought Jennifer made some very um very. Made some great points. The only thing I would uh, say is that it should go a step further, and that the, the teacher shouldn't be allowed to use mobile phones either. Okay. So, because if you're telling students you can't use them, what well, the rules don't apply to us at all? They'll tell you it's work related. They're using them for work. To be sure, who's checking it? They're, they're, the, the people who are trying to who are trying to implement these things are, are as addicted as the people that are trying to that they're saying are addicted as well. Possibly. So. There's a, it's, a, it's an epidemic. It's, it's right across society, and I think that it's ca- they're causing so much unhappiness in teenagers. It's, it's, it's incredible, and it's really not being addressed. It's just been ignored. Mm. Um, really, it's, it's, a, it's, just a, it's just an extra thing um, for, 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 the, um, for the youth of today that they really are. I think it's causing an awful, a lot of unhappiness, and um, I think that they definitely, um, like, if you look at it, who's implementing the rules, the minister. Sure, for all we know, she could be as addicted as anybody else at the moment. But it's just a society thing. Mm. Do you have a mobile and yourself, John? I do, yeah, I would do you, indeed. Yeah. Would you use it in association with work? I would, but I don't use social media, to be, to be honest with you, particularly right. on it that much. No, I'm not, I'm like, like I'm not of the generation that would be, we'll say, as big into Instagram and all that kind of stuff. That, like, that, that, a lot of that stuff is just huge for them and TikTok sure. and stuff sure. like that. It's it's just the way it's gone, and and um, you know it's it's. But I just see it just causing so much unhappiness, and uh, I think it's a great idea to get them out to get the, to take them away from schools if they can. But also they'll have to take them away from the teachers as well, and I don't see it happening, and I don't see there's any appetite there to take yeah. to take that whole situation on. You know, because I, I suppose the only know. hurdle I'd see, and I, I'm with you all the way, uh, except that if you take our job here, the yeah. three of us as a team. Yeah. We communicate using our phones and our documents, all of our show documents. All, we share all of our show notes, all of our yeah. scripts, we share them. It's vital to us in our work to have a mobile phone. Yeah. I would imagine the teachers in a school have a lot of documents that are shared with them and the phone is the most convenient way to do it. So you'd, you'd have to kind of replace that if you were to tell the teacher they can't have a phone. Well, yeah, but I mean, they have laptops. A lot of them have laptops in class and they, they, like, it's not like that they're completely, um, you know, disconnected uh, you know from it and they only work within a certain amount of hours anyway so I mean a lot of it could be done like you know on laptops and stuff like that I mean what did they do before yeah that's it so I mean like like I find it with schools they pick and choose the technology that suits them um, so you know it's either you're you know they did it before and they were able to manage the way so yeah. a bit like you said maybe maybe a step back might, mightn't be any harm at all you know? there, there is a thing alright that we're all always telling, particularly any parents of smallies, are telling their kids, no, not you've had too much screen time, no more YouTube, no, you're not yeah. having the iPad anymore. And yet, yeah. in the very same breath as you're telling them, no, you've had enough of the iPad today, love, you, you have your phone on. New exactly. I, I, exactly, and I was, in, I was in a doctor's surgery there recently, and then there was a, a lady sitting down with her daughter, Mm-hmm. And the daughter was looking around and observing, and she's you know she was just sitting and playing with her hands. And um, it's her mother was the one on the phone who wasn't who was disconnected from everything that was going on. So, you know, the child was teaching the mother, if you like. That's the way I looked at it. Yeah. Do you, you know? find yourself, John, yourself now? Just yeah. if you're sitting in, uh, I mean, there are very few more boring places in the world. 
than a doctor's waiting room. So, I mean, if you're sitting in a place like that or if you're on the bus or wherever, do you find yourself reaching yeah, for guilty. the phone? Guilty, absolutely. Yeah. And I find that I, I've, I've actually toyed with the idea of going back to an old Nokia. And then I was saying to myself, how would I get on now and we say if I'm in Duns or whatever with the vouchers and stuff? It's just that it's so ingrained in us now. It's difficult to survive without them or Google Maps or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, to, to actually take a step back, it's very hard. But I think social media, even if you were using it without social media, you know, it's it's not it's not, it's not so bad. I think yeah. social media side of it has, has is what was what really after getting to yeah. teenagers. Just just from an observation point of view. I, I often wonder, you know, if I didn't need it for work and I do. Would yeah. I even bother with social media? I, I'm not too sure, would I? I? I actually often say to my wife, I'd love to be over in Spain somewhere away from all mobile phones and technology. Simple yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> right, Is there any yeah. such a thing anymore, John? For good I sake. don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Ringing to make that point anyway, all right? Thanks for Thank you much. for the call. Well Here's done, well said. 0818 96 96 96. To another one that we're watching, because we're going to find out more today about the plan... Kevin Backhurst's plan or RTE's strategic plan, I don't know whoever is signing off on it. 400 jobs likely to go at RTE over the next four or five years. I said at the top of the programme this morning, it won't be people at the top, you know. It'll be people who had absolutely nothing to do with flip-flop gate or anything like that. It'll be the small guy. Mike, would you agree with me? Good morning. Uh, Good morning, PJ. What do you think? I just find the whole thing disgusting. Uh, when the, what, we've seen the, the recent budget, the RTE have been allocated 16 million taxpayers' money. Now they've set up a new mechanism fund called ERA, whatever that stands for, just another cop-out. There's 40 million coming down the line. That's 56 million they're going to pump into a failed establishment. I think it's absolutely crazy. You think, it's a, you think it's a failed establishment? Absolutely. Well, we've seen what, what we've seen we down the last number, 12 months, really, with RTE and... You don't need to imagine what went on in the past. And mm. uh, why should the taxpayer have to bail them out now at 56 million? That money could be spent in much many services around the country, especially for children's aid and hospital health services, mm. housing. Many outlets for 56 million would go. Money better spent. Would you, close, would, you t- would you close it down? I wouldn't close it down, but I certainly wouldn't be allocating that kind of funding to them. And, I mean, they made their own messes up to them to sort it out, not to the taxpayer to come along and bail them out. It's just too easy. Yeah. It's all wrong. In my world, it's all wrong anyway. Completely wrong. Yeah, 400 people will probably, well, they will get a lot of it through voluntary redundancy. They will get a lot of it through people coming up to retirement age and not being replaced yeah. over the well, next year. They probably my, do my, need to stream down in... in, in oh, absolutely. Numbers. Yeah, no, I've no problem with that. But the people at the top who made all the decisions who caused all this skullduggery, they seem to walk away scot-free. Yeah. You know, it's just sickening the whole thing. And 56 million is a lot of money. Yeah, that taxpayers' money. And, well, listen, let, let's let's not, let's 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 use the right word, Mike. It's your money, my money, yeah, Deaver's money, Fergal's money. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you, um, do, you, do you have a TV license? I do a course. I pay it every year. Absolutely. That's why I'm up in arms about why should we pay now again? I pay one sixty every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I always support the, the the national broadcaster, but I think this is just a bridge too far. Right. Especially that at fifty six million, I think it's crazy. Yeah. There's no way that should be entertained. They get about a hundred and I think they get they get about a hundred and thirty million off of the license fee, and and then they have to raise the rest through commercial sponsorship. But the government has to fall in and, 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 and yeah. them out. Well, yeah. that's because so many people. And the reason I asked you, 
you know, so many people have have refused to pay their license fee now because of the whole affair. Well, that's their own making. That's that's their own making. That the victims of their own of their own making. You know, because no, I'd always pay, pay the license. You know, I'm not happy about it, but I still pay it because I think over the years, one sixty, it's not a lot of money for what we do get. Because I follow sport and things, so I get a lot yeah. from RT yeah, yeah. sports. Yeah, but like I do pay, no, absolutely. But like I think fifty six million is a fat in excess of what the taxpayer should be asked to come to to bridge that gap again from the shortfall. Right, Mike, good call. Thank you for making it. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Anything to add to that? The four hundred jobs they're saying will have to go. Some of them will just be people who reach retirement age and are not replaced. Some will go on voluntary packages, depending on your years of service. You could get a decent voluntary package. There are strong unions in RTE, so any voluntary package will have to be a decent package. Some people, you'd, you'd hope that nobody will have to go compulsorily over the next uh, few years. Hate to see anyone losing their job with no choice, particularly the small guy. I'm talking about the little guy. You've got thousands of people with yeah, thousands of people in RTE uh, who are only on 40,000, maybe less. There's a fair number of people on RTE well in well below the 50,000 euro level. Lots and lots of them. You, you would hope that they won't be the ones paying the price for largesse in the past. Speaking of RTE, I didn't see this. I didn't see this. Um, so if anyone has a clip of the video I'd love to see it I'm surprised no one has mentioned about what happened on RTE last night I was reading a book at late at night I tend to read a book these days Katie Hannon was presenting a good programme on domestic violence Katie is one of the best things RTE have to be fair to, to the woman Katie was presenting a great programme on domestic violence and people ran onto the set with the Palestinian flag it's a pity no disrespect to the Palestinian cause the show was doing a great job highlighting domestic violence and it was hard to pick up the discussion again after that happened. I would have thought security would have been better. It's a piece here, just click it open from The Independent. Let me get a print out of that and go through it, The Independent reporting on it. I didn't see it last night. If anybody did, um, then tell me. 0818 96 On mobile phones... A Dublin restaurant has a sign on the door. Don't forget to turn phones back on when you're leaving. I like that one. And can we remember today on her first anniversary, and we, it was around this time, I think it was, it was around this time on this day last year that the news broke that the death had occurred of Vicky Phelan. A year ago today, we lost the wonderful... Vicky Phelan, someone I'd had the joy of interviewing many times. And on her on her worst day, she was a joy to interview. On her best day, you could just let her off and she'd take the show over. She was funny, she was lively, and she was vivid, and she had a gift with words. She was a wonderful woman to talk to and to interview, which I had the privilege of doing many, many, many times. And today is her anniversary, and I remember we were here... Would be this day last year. I think Emer came in to me during an ad break into the studio and said, Vicky's gone. So, a year ago today, we remember Vicky Fielding. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Here's one. I mentioned again the Cloister and Cravine incident, which the story broke here on the opinion line late last week, and we learned over the weekend it was quite a serious 
incident. Uh, the school did confirm to us that it happened. The guard, the press office subsequently confirmed the nature of what had happened. Uh, we read in the paper this morning that this is not the first such incident. A senior figure in the HSE uh, confirming to the examiner that there have been about 20 such incidents in schools up and down the country of vaping and things happening when kids vape and the wrong things getting into to vapes. And it's one where we've also had uh, approaches in the last couple of days from people who claim that they told Clarston Craving this was a problem many months ago. We've asked the school for a statement on that. We're still awaiting it. Um, all due respect, PJ, I think it would be better, says this message, if Gloucester and Craven spoke to their students and parents before issuing statements to the media. It's no fault of the media's, but I'm very annoyed the school have not made any contact with those of us directly connected. It'll be a week tomorrow since the incident occurred. No, I'm totally with you on that. It's good that the school are willing to issue statements. Uh, it comes to the Education Training Board, the ETB, they're fairly standard statements, but it's good that we're... But yes, I, should they be communicating directly with their uh, students and pair and families? Absolutely. Flippin' lutely. 0818969696. And one last one. Now, this is a take, all right? Uh, I'm going to read it for what it's worth. These are not my words. I have no, posi- I have no position on the words I'm about to read. However... On homelessness, which comes up all the time. There's hardly a day's go by, doesn't come up. This message, which is unsigned, but says, We have a lot of problems in this country, and a lot of great things too. Please remember about homelessness. While it is sad for even one person to be homeless, it is still only far less than 1% of the population who are homeless. Most other countries are a lot higher than here. But it's just garbage pushed by Sinn Féin. Not my words, somebody else's. Join the conversation. This is The Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. You want the biggest hits? Well, what if it been real 90s? Be unreal. Other people be like, you want to hear your song? I'm like, yes. Love it. What a tune. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. Oh, I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Cork's 96 FM. If there's one subject that's always guaranteed to start a lively conversation on this programme, it is dogs. Dangerous dogs in particular. And we had a lengthy conversation over a period of days in the last fortnight about the dangerous dogs list. Whether... Other animals or other dogs should be added to it, like, for example, the XL Bully. We were discussing the banning of the XL Bully in the UK. The Belgian Malinois, which is a police-stroke army dog, which isn't on the list, but some people think it should be. And with trainers and experts on saying it's not about the dog, it's about the own it's about the training. We need to train ourselves to, to, to manage dogs better. It's a big, convoluted debate. 
And on Thursday last, I was talking to Vincent Cashman from the CSPCA, the dog warden, a man working with dogs all his life. And I asked him for his take on it, particularly his take on Staffies, uh, which are a very popular pet, and other such big, strong breeds like that. There has been many, many cases of dogs who have shown absolutely no signs of aggression. None. And they just turn. There could be a reaction to a smell, a noise, somebody calling to the house, and they can react very, very badly. Mm. And if they do get spooked like that, which can come out of nowhere, they have the potential to do some very, very serious damage. I have had call after call, message after message. I have a staffy, I have a bully, and they're just a big sweetheart. And they generally are. I'm a big fan of the Staffordshire Terrier. Beautiful dog. They're a gorgeous dog. Puppies they're, are, they're the gorgeous puppies dog. are delightful. And they're, they're fantastic pets inside in your home until something goes wrong. Jerry, you were listening to that and you wanted to make a point. Morning. I, morning, PJ. I was, yeah. Um, like, Staffies are known as the nanny dog because of their love for families and love for children. That's a name that was given them back to back in the Victorian times that they still carry with them to this day. If you go on to, I'm sure your researchers can go on to all the kennel clubs, the most popular kennel clubs like the American Kennel Club, the Canadian one, the Australian one, the European one, the English one, even the Irish one. They're one of three or four dogs that's highly recommended for families, but they're one of two that's recommended for families that have young children. Mm. Would you no. not accept Vincent's years of experience not, working around dogs? No, no. I'm, I'm, um, I have Staffordshire Bull Terriers for close on 40 years now. I'm a recognised breeder with the Irish Kennel Club. Okay. I'm a lifetime member of the Irish Kennel Club. Um, I'll tell you one thing that um, about the Staffordshire Bull Terrier that Vincent failed to say, and that is that Staffordshire Bull Terriers are known as the nanny dog, but they're also known as the mistaken dog because of... I'll put it this way, PJ. If you breed a German Shepherd with a Labrador, you get a mongrel. You mm. breed a Corgi with a Terrier, you get a mongrel. You breed any dog, a Cocker Spaniel with a Cocker, and you get a mongrel. You breed a Staffordshire Bull Terrier with anything, and you end up with a Staffy. Now, I can prove that in that... The English Kennel Club in 2011 had 7,113 Staffordshire Bull Terriers registered in Britain. Mm. In 2021, they were in decline. They had 5,010. 2022, they came back to 6,561. Yet, in Liverpool and Manchester and Newcastle alone, there's reckoned to be a half a million of them. That's 494,000 dogs more than is registered with the Kennel Club. So any dog that's bred with a Staffordshire Bull Terrier ends up actually being a Staffy or blimped if, if, if he does any damage, even though he's not a thoroughbred. Oh, now I'm getting your point. I was wondering what you were saying, that, that, that a purebred Staffy and a crossbred yes. Staffy might look the same. Exactly. Or a Staffordshire Bull Terrier... In, in, in kennel club ratings is no, for a dog, is no higher than 16 inches in height. 
yet these dogs are all 20 and 22 inches in height. They weigh no more than, 20, for the dog, 28 to 38 pounds, and heavier than that is not recognised by the kennel clubs. Yet these dogs, some of these dogs are 50, 60 and 70 pound weight. Now yes, I'm getting the point. So there are crossbreeds out there with staffies there that look like staffies and are called staffies but are not actually staffies. Exactly. Like if, if you can go on to YouTube there and you can go to um, staffies, should I get one? Should I do this? Should I do that? Staffordshire Bull Terriers, according to, like I, I, I can go here, I've written down here about, um, what's his name? He's the top doctor. In, um, the, the, he has an MBE for veterinary surgery in England, Bruce Fogel. Mm-hmm. And he's, he has an MBE. He's the author of um, the world's best-selling um, books, practices in, in 35 different languages. This book was, was um, put forward. And he states on that book that Staffordshire Bull Terriers are mistaken for everything that looks like a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Okay. Okay, that's that's a point. That's a that's a new point to the discussion, Jerry, and one I'm very glad yeah. you're making. Yeah, like I've had these dogs. I have. I've I've bought these dogs and I've sold these dogs. Um, to I know the recognised breeders in Cork City, and like I said, the kennel club. I've never once heard of a thoroughbred Staffordshire Bull Terrier ever showing any form of aggression to any person that came into the house. I actually have two men here this morning, um, PJ, fitting windows and doors that don't know me from Adam or my dog, and they're playing with the dog here. Okay, all right, Jerry. I'm going to leave it there for no reason other than time, but thank you for bringing another voice to that ongoing discussion, not taking from Vincent's expertise in any way, but suggesting that there's another nuance to this that maybe hasn't been stated. Jerry, appreciate it very much. They're gorgeous. There's a little staffy puppy going around Douglas at the moment. Now, I haven't come near him in a while. He was 16 weeks old when I first met him in my barbers in Douglas. Um, he's gorgeous. Beautiful little dog, you know, and, and really friendly and really typical puppy. But there's a great nuanced point that Jerry's made. Really good point. Thank you. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96FM. Quick question for you. What night do your bins go out? Um, or what morning do your bins go out? And do you know what bin goes out when? Thankfully, a year or two ago, uh, my provider started sending a text message the night before so we wouldn't put the wrong bin out, which is great. That helps. But come here till I tell you, how would you feel about a man from the council or a woman from the council coming up, knocking on your front door and saying, I want to inspect your bin to see what's in it? This is what, if I'm reading correctly from the papers today, This is what the Environmental Protection Agency want councils to be able to do. This is because, now, I have three bins. 
I have a waste bin, I have a recycling bin, and I have a food bin. The waste bin goes out every second week, and on the other week, recycling and the food bins go out. And we do our level best to keep everything properly sorted. The only thing food goes into is the food bin. Rubbish goes in the rubbish bin, and recycling goes in the recycling bin. Fairly obvious, don't you think? The confusion comes from what can we recycle and what we can't, and that's a guesswork at the best of times. Uh, don't be coming at me now with lists of exactly what I can and what I can't, because it seems to change every every month. And the harder you try, the harder it seems to get. But the, the latest from the Environmental Protection Agency is that they would like local councils to carry out spot checks of household bins to see if we're putting the right stuff in the right bin. And if we don't, are you listening? Are you sitting down? If we don't do that, they want the councils to be able to prosecute us for putting the wrong thing in the wrong bin. So that if you happen to inadvertently drop a chicken carcass, well, you shouldn't, but if you do inadvertently happen to put the, the remains of last night's dinner into the rubbish bin in an absent-minded moment rather than into the food bin, or if you happen to put something non-recyclable into the recycling bin, you could be fined. Some, this, this, this is the picture that they're painting. That someone could come up your drive, knock on the door and say, see the bin? Yeah, bin's gone out in the morning, yeah. Can we have a look at it? See what's inside in it? Here, I'm from the council. I'm not too sure I'd be too happy about that. I'm not too sure I'd be too happy about that at all. I'm very careful. I take responsibility in my house for the separation of the stuff. Food bin's easy. We put it into these little green bags, tie the green bag and pop that into the food. That's easy. What are they going to do? Start opening up the green bags and seeing if we got the wrong stuff inside? That, that, that'll be a smelly job for whoever wants to do that. The recycling, as I said, that can be iffy at times. You wonder, oh, yeah, I can recycle that bit of cardboard, but I can't recycle that bit of cardboard because it got wet. Like, for example, you can't recycle a pizza carton. Did you know that? Pizza, can't recycle a pizza carton. We know these things. We follow these rules. But someone now, the Environmental Protection Agency, this watchdog, this governing body, wants to inspect or the local authority to have the power to inspect your bins. And if you have the wrong thing in the wrong bin, there should be fines. <laughs> lads, lads, lads. 0818 96 96 96. If you have any particular thoughts on that little plan. 083 396 96 96 text or WhatsApp on dogs and talking before the news at 11 to Jerry, who has bred Staffordshire Bull Terriers all his life and gave me a nuanced point on Staffordshire Bull Terriers. We'll podcast the interview, it'll avoid me having to go back through all the details. But effectively, he was saying that a purebred Staffordshire Bull Terrier with kennel club, club papers and all that, is not the same as another dog that might look like a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. It might have been crossbred down the way, and you won't know that. So that's Jerry's take. 
on it. Uh, Caller then says, a kennel club cert is not necessarily a guarantee of quality, especially when it comes to breeds that are inbred heavily. It can affect their mentality and their physicality. They can't stand up properly sometimes, and that alone will make them irritable. Well, yes, caller. The the so-called brachycephalic breeds, there's a big word, I know. I learned it the same day I learned marmalade. Brachycephalic, it's the little pug dogs, beautiful dogs, the ones with little squash faces. They have all sorts of problems, all sorts of problems. And it comes from, it comes from inbreeding. You know, the little Cavalier King Charles, which I love so much, they have a, they have a heart condition. 90% of them have a heart condition, which certainly in the boys, in the males, will eventually kill most of them. Um, it, it slows down the females. They all have a heart condition, and, and, and a lot of it is from, from inbreeding. So that's a valid point too. Anyway, to happier things. Don't you love it when a community comes together? Down in East Cork, they make the most gorgeous crisps. They're beetroot crisps. They're be- if you've never had them, Joe's Farm crisps. Beetroot crisps out of Killa in East Cork, a place I know very well. And Sandra Burns uh, from Joe's Farm Crisps. Sandra joins me. Sandra, you had to. You had to save the beetroot crop. Um, and you did. But it came close to not saving it. You nearly lost it. These beetroot must come out of the ground before the cold weather starts. Mustn't they? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yes, they do. Um we should have had our beetroot harvested in October, but with the constant rain, we were just very lucky. We got the potatoes out two days before the flooding in East Cork. We got them out the 16th of October. Mm-hmm. The floods were the 18th of October, and after that, that basically totally finished getting back into the field with the machinery. Joe and the lad tried several times, but um, we couldn't get back in. There was more clay going up than the actual beetroot, and... Wheels were spinning, nothing, nothing was going nothing right. Nothing was getting, so, um, and yeah. beetroot is a very, it's very crucial to get it up on time, isn't it? Yes, uh, one night frost, even like just ground frost, so that's why it always has to get harvested and um, into cold store. And then if you've, as we we kind of say, it's like saving the hay or the silage. We're only weeks, possibly days away from the first hard frost, and, and that would be yeah. the end of it. Yeah, and also... Um, this is our crazy busiest time of the year. In three weeks' time, we're at Gifted in the RDS in Dublin for a week ourselves exhibiting. Yeah. And we have all our stockists from hotels um, to hamper companies, all our shops, supermarkets. So Busy time. Yeah. So you put out uh, the call for help. I didn't want to do that. Um, that nearly killed me, to be honest, asking for that help. Why? To me, it was like as if we had failed... Um, as a business but I have learned so much from friends over the few days that you ask for help whether it's personal whether it's business because the help is always there yeah Joe um, yeah that was the hardest thing writing that post after that everything else basically fell into place and people turned up in their wellies with their sleeves rolled up good to go yeah they were determined Um, they were like right we must get this job done that's, I heard that a few times because at the start I was parking cars. I um I had food ordered 
from our local greengrocer. They were making food and sandwiches and stuff. And my mother and I was collecting that. And when she came back with that, I was able to get down the field and help. People were determined. They came from all over. They were from all over Cork, Waterford, Kilkenny, Tipperary, the Limerick border. We were just blown away, to be How many turned up? Do you reckon? Um, between 60 and 70 people turned up. Wow. Yeah. Like, it was done in four hours. They started at 10 and we were finished at 10 to 2. I remember looking at the phone. It was it was just absolutely amazing. For once, I was actually lost for it. I was blown the field and I was like, I don't know what to say. Uh-huh. But, you know, it was just, everyone was determined. I, I remember one of the lads said to me around 12 o'clock, Sandra, you need to update the social media post because we'll have this out today. How much did they take out in that few hours? A full acre. Full acre of beetroot. Is that a ton, two ton, what is it? 20 ton. 20 ton? 20 ton, yeah. Good Lord. I mean, yeah. I might have said a ton and a half, two ton, so, three ton. 20 no, ton? No, we use a ton um, cooking on a day. <laughs> so. Show you how much I know about making a crisp, let alone farming. <laughs> Good yeah. Lord. So that was 20 tonne so of beetroot pulled in four hours. Yes. yes. Through metal and nothing else. Some ladies said to Joe, um, this was brilliant. We got away from the kids and the housework. <laughs> um, they wanted to know were we making it an annual event. <laughs> we were like, no way. Brilliant. <laughs> because we do sunflower picking and pumpkin picking as well on our farm. They thought this was the new, <laughs> the new extra thing. You <laughs> do sunflowers as well. We do sunflower picking and we raise money um, for Marymount Hospice and we raise money for good friends of ours, the Welsh family in Killa, um, this year. So nice. over the last three years, we've raised 27,500 um, for Marymount. Right. Well, I, I must tell you, and I tell my listeners from time to time, there is nothing makes me happier than a sunflower. Yeah. But they're a beautiful plant. They're beautiful. They're fabulous, yeah. <laughs> Even if it, on your saddest day, they'll cheer yeah. you up, like just looking at them because... We grow all different colours. There are different colours? Yep, different colours. Oh, I can't like, wait to see them in the yeah, springtime. You'll have to come down. I will have to come down. I will have to come. Tell me the story again. Someone years ago sent me in a sample of the beetroot crisps and they're delicious. Tell me the, the history of Joe and the beetroot crisps, will you? So we, 40 years, Joe's mum and dad used to be... Um, selling veg they used to buy from local farmers potatoes and carrots and parsnips and all that and sell at markets and markets and then about 18 years ago we started taking over the growing Joe and myself um, we were doing farmers markets in Matham Point Mallow and Douglas Mm. um, for 13 years up until when Covid hit to be 10 years for this March that we diversified into the crisps and that was from supermarkets all did a five cent price war on carrots in particular. We knew we had to change and diversify. So mm-hmm. it was um, March 2014 that we started vegetable crisps made from carrots, parsnips and beetroot. We were growing them already. We knew how to grow them. But we hadn't a clue of how to make crisps. <laughs> Being honest, we had did not know anything about packaging. Knew absolutely nothing but when your back is to the wall and you knew you had to change in the worst way like yeah. at the time we had two kids and um, yeah we just we had to you, you, you learn quickly yeah. and it has grown year on year well, um, but it, it, it's from people supporting us constantly yeah well you said to me earlier on that you felt 
a bit of a failure having to reach out for help. Yeah. Do you not now realise, Sandra, how loved your company is? I suppose, yeah. I suppose we've always been, like, as I said, we've always done the fundraising for Mary Mount for the Welsh family for... We're always the ones that'll do something, you mm-hmm. know, but you never think that you actually need to help someday. I and would never have thought of that, Joe. It was there for um, you. Yeah. Well, I'm delighted that you... 20 tonne of beetroot in yeah. four hours. That have you, Has someone gone to the Guinness Book of World Records yet? Because <laughs> <laughs> It probably got out faster than the tractors <laughs> and the machinery, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, and you're on... My uncle's old farm. On yeah, Timmy yeah. Early, he's old farm. My goodness yeah. me. Yeah. We're 20 years for July. We're married 20 years next year. I'm passionate about East Cork. Um, it's a beautiful part of the country. Like 10 minutes you're into y'all or down to Gary Vore. Yeah. It's a beautiful part of the country. Oh, as a small boy, I, I, I knew that area very, very well because my uncle, as you know, my uncle and, and auntie had yeah. Had a farm I did see Hurley, yeah. Before air codes and all that kind of came in, um, Joe, when you'd be kind of giving directions to people, you'd be like, do you know Tyke Hurley, where he was? Yeah. That's where we are. <laughs> that, that was before air codes. You could spend the rest of the day talking about him because he was a bit of an yeah. old legend. Sandra, brilliant talking to you and best of luck with, so with, with everything to do with Joe's, Joe's Farm Crisps. Take thanks care now. And just a huge thanks to everyone for just sharing our post and coming, basically saved our business for the next year. So thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye. See you, Sandra. And I will. I'll be down next year to see the the sunflowers. Um, oh God, there's memories. If if you're in that neck of the woods or that part of East Cork, you'll remember Tyg and Kitty with great affection. There was great stories told about Tyg. Um, he was a tough old devil. He was a tough old East Cork farmer and. <laughs> At one stage, Ty got a tax bill. This is a long time ago, and he's long dead, so there's no harm in telling this story. He got a tax bill one time. I don't know how much it was for, but Ty was convinced that his tax was settled and that he didn't know the taxman anything. He got a tax bill. So Ty went out and bought a gun. <laughs> now we had to talk him out of you. That's the kind of character you were dealing with. 0818 96 96 96. Let me go straight to this. Um, This survey of students, particularly international students, who say that they were, 13% of them were asked about sex for rent. It's students looking for accommodation in Cork. But well, across Ireland, but looking for a company, being asked for sex as part of the rent. Uh, we finally have some figures on the table. I'll get to them in just a sec. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. You want the biggest hits? Yeah, we are really hooked on this now. Oh, this song is class. Oh my God, when I just heard that, when I got into the car, it just brought it right back. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Courts 96 FM. So the Irish Council of International Students did a survey. 
they surveyed just over 800 international students across over 70 countries. And they found that attended them had been victim of some kind of accommodation scam. Like, for example, being asked for a hundred euro to view a property with, with no guarantee of getting it like. And then one in 20 had been offered a sex for rent proposal or had seen an advertisement indicating that sex could be part of the deal. That's written in the echo, or the examiner rather, uh, brilliant work again by Anne Murphy and it's fair, it's worth crediting Anne because it was she was the one who broke this story, Anne Murphy broke the story of sex for rent being a thing a year or two ago now in the examiner and the echo. Laura Harmon is executive director of the Irish Council for International Students. We have it in numbers now in writing. It's going on Laura, good morning. Good morning. Yes, yes. So we do have it in numbers now. So we didn't have any real data before in terms of the the issue around sex for rent ads. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately, five percent of the respondents to our survey have said that they've either seen an ad um, looking for sex in exchange for rent, or someone has directly offered it to them. Um, and then a tenth of people that actually responded to the survey said that they. Um, were unsure whether they had seen it or not. So I think, you know, the, the reality is a lot of these ads, they can be quite ambiguous. So, you know, people won't exactly say directly what they're looking for. Mm. If they're putting it on daft.ie or online, they'll say, you know, things like must be open-minded um, or other um, students have told us that they've they've seen things like, you know, must be willing to have fun in the house mm-hmm. or share a bed. Um, so it's, you know, it's quite shady and um, it is happening um, it's not just happening with students, but it is something that's happening. And there's a lot of predators out there that are trying to take advantage now of the housing crisis and that a lot of people are quite vulnerable at the minute. The wording of the ads, um, one might be forgiven for thinking it could be taking advantage of the fact that for some of these applicants, uh, English isn't their first language. Exactly. And I mean, it'd be the same if any of us were going abroad and we were going to a country where, you know, English wasn't the the spoken language there. If we had to, you know, work through another language to find accommodation and they're coming here in the middle of a housing housing crisis, you know, trying to to find somewhere to live. And a lot of them are desperate. I mean, you know, we see from the research as well that, you know, some people it's taken them over 100 days to find accommodation. One in 10 uh, found, found accommodation. Uh, you know, in in over a hundred days, so that's that's a very long time period. So people are really desperate to get a roof over their heads, and I mean, overcrowding is a huge issue as well that we've seen in the survey. You know, people mm. sharing a room with with many people or sharing a house with many people. But absolutely, you know, the issue of of sex for rent is something we're very concerned about, and certainly we're calling on uh, the government to urgently pass legislation in relation to this. There mm. is legislation going through the doll at the minute, but it hasn't been passed. Um, mm. so we're calling for yeah. that, and absolutely. What does the law say, Laura? Let's put in brass tacks here. What does the law say? If if I'm a nefarious individual who has, say, an apartment for rent and I offer sexual services as part of that and another consenting adult agrees, are we breaking the law? Am I breaking the law by, by suggesting it in the first place? Yeah, well, I mean, it's illegal to purchase sex, um, you know, in this country. So that is that is one factor. But in terms of, I suppose, there is no clarity in relation to this area. And there does need to be kind of clamped down within the housing legislation in relation to it. And I know that Deputy Keno Callaghan in, in the Social Democrats is bringing true legislation on this issue. And I think it'll have a, a lot of support. But unfortunately, it hasn't gone through yet. So 
we will be meeting with with the government um, TDs and opposition TDs uh, tomorrow. Actually, we have a briefing in Leinster House on this issue, so we will be pushing forward um, the discussions around this. But it is something that is needed, and certainly it's something that we're hearing from students more and more, particularly over the last year, yeah. um, that it is an issue of concern. And and absolutely, you're right. You know, credit to Anne Murphy, you know, the journalist uh, and the examiner who has kind of done a lot of work on this story and has a piece in the examiner today around it mm. and. Um, you know, it needs to be highlighted. Specifically dealing with Cork, have you come across specific cases in Cork? Have you spoken to anybody who had this kind of a nefarious offer made to them in Cork? Yeah, well, I mean, there's over 4,000 international students between UCC and MTU, and then there are know there there's over you know a thousand more in terms of English language students within within Cork City as well um so we have had students you know coming to us over the course of the last year from all across the country and we did have one you know from Cork previously um stating that they had seen you know these ads and certainly I mean as I say it is common from our from our research five percent um having seen them and a lot of international students will tell you that if they haven't seen it themselves and they've probably have a friend that has had an issue, you know, in this regard. And I suppose, you know, we need to be putting fear into people in terms of, you know, predators out there who are looking to exploit this situation, that, that they are being, that they, this is being watched, um, that, you know, that, that, that it is going to be clamped down upon. So this is why we're calling for this legislation. And I mean, it really doesn't reflect well on Ireland if this is the experience of students that come here. Mm. Um, you know, if this is what's happening to them, 5% of them, 1 in 20, seeing these kind of offers online. And I suppose the state of the housing crisis, really. And I know, you know... It, Have you spoken to anybody who's had an actual face-to-face offer put into so many words, as it were? Yeah, well, I mean, we had some people responding to the research. And, I mean, you know, there was... It doesn't just happen, I suppose, to, to females. It can happen to males as well. We did have one male who said that he was offered... Um, to view a property and it was another male showing it to him and he brought him to the room and said well here's the bed you know and and he said well where where are you going to sleep and he was like oh you know i will be sleeping in the bed with you you know if that's okay so obviously you know this particular student you know walked out and you know obviously blocked that person online and thankfully didn't hand over any money but it, you know it is happening um and we've we've had others with similar situations um, you know, being asked to, you know, have fun with uh, the other people in the house and and that. So it is something that is happening and um, it is very frightening for the students involved. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly we're trying to raise awareness of it. And, and lastly, I'll briefly touch on this idea of people being charged just to see the place. Yeah, and I mean, that is absolutely ludicrous. And, you know, we're seeing that and we're also seeing, you know, people being asked to hand over large deposits and, you know, months of rent without even seeing a property and then they're being scammed out of it and unfortunately a lot of this scamming is happening on social media so you know we're asking people to be wary but I suppose just to just to say finally I mean I know there's a lot of doom and gloom in this report but we have a fantastic education system in Ireland and you know people come here for the culture as well and colleges UCC MTU they go above and beyond to provide quality student experiences Mm -hmm. it's just really unfortunate that the housing crisis is is trying to undermine you know is undermining that work and I think the government really need to take this seriously they need to scale up the ambition rapidly in terms of building purpose-built student accommodation in terms of solving the housing crisis in terms of dereliction in Cork I mean we've got over 700 properties within a two kilometer radius of Cork City that are derelict so there's a lot of things that need to be done in order to tackle this certainly legislation clamping down for 
for okay. sex for rent as part of that as well. All right. Laura, thank you for your time. Laura Harmon, Executive Director of the Irish Council for International Students. People offered sex for rent. And it's happening. It's not just an idea. It's not just a notion that somebody took. It's happening. Uh, and uh, we now have it they say, in black and white in numbers. One in 20 have been offered a proposal of sex for rent or seen an advertisement. And this idea that, oh, yeah, you can come and see the flat. Of course you can. 100 quid. That's happening too. Thank you, Laura. 0818969696. Yeah, a bit of a response to what I was reading out about the, the bins. This idea, the Environmental Protection Agency would like local councils to inspect your bins to make sure you're putting the right thing into them. And if you're not, possibly even to fine you for not putting the right thing into your bins. Mm. People not happy with that. The EPA is claiming, I'm assuming they did a survey, I'm assuming that they took somebody's bin and went through it. They say more than two-thirds of waste in general household bins could be in the recycling or the food bin instead. So what you're putting into your waste bin, you might be better off. You should be putting into your recycling bin or you should be putting into your food bin. That's what they're claiming, and that's why they want local councils to do spot checks. Kate wants to know, Jesus, who'd have that job going through the brown bin? At least we all know who they are, because if they don't stink, they'll have black eyes. Yeah, I know. Raynor, PJ, can you not tell anyone to get off your property under trespass laws and revoke their right of access? It's a simple solution. And also just drill two holes in every bin and put a padlock on them. Now let's see the council inspecting them. Bins are a private contract between you and your company. The council can F off, says Frank. PJ, F the bins. Let the council fix the bleeding potholes. That's bare. And then this one comes in, which, to be fair, throws another angle onto it. Please don't dramatise this. Possible bin inspections. I have no problem with it. Just sort out your crap, and it won't be an issue for you. Now, please don't have some clown coming on shouting the two most irritating words ever used. Nanny state. Closed-minded people love saying that about anything that bothers them. People will be fined for re-offending continuously, and rightly so, for not bothering to make an effort to separate their waste. Just get on with it and button your lip. Thanks. <laughs> Look, I know they're not going to come up and start... It's just a story in the news, and it is interesting. And people, the Environmental Protection Agency wants the council to inspect your bin. And if the wrong things are in the bins, you might possibly be prosecuted for it. That's that's what's in the paper. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. The great Joseph Bourne. Joe, you are at it again. Six, or just under six weeks to Christmas. And the selection box are all, the selection boxes are already coming in. Good morning, sir. PJ. And you know not just the great Joe Bourne, the great PJ Coogan as well. And thank God you're alive and well and you haven't choked on us. Same as yourself, my friend. Same as yourself. Um, Good PJ, to see you here. Yeah, it's all flying. It's not just selection boxes. We're having our amazing um, Christmas party again this year that we did last year. Uh, the free haircuts at Joseph's and then over straight to Flannery's were amazing for hot food and beverages all day. Santa Claus, magician, choir singing and the whole lot. When is it all happening? It's all happening on the 3rd of December. It's the Sunday. 
and elves are very busy at the moment getting things away for the boys and girls for Cooley Refuge and for Edel House and people from Penny Dinners and other services now, PJ, who people are contacting me and have I got anything through people are asking me, could I give them a hand out this Christmas? Would they have any, would we have anything that would have ever contacted me before? How long are you doing this now, Joe, and why did you start? 10, 12 years ago, PJ, why does I always say to PJ? Because I can, it started off very simply by doing a few haircuts in the salon and it just grew. And it really, really took off because of the people, that your listeners and my clients and the flanners across the road have been so brilliant. And there's such, such, such a need out there at the moment, PJ. You don't realise it. Like I've had two people in last week that got two cut and blow dyes. They, they were living in a car. You know, there's people contact me all year round because, you know, um, it's not just for Christmas. I'm always saying homeless, um, um, domestic violence and all that. It's all year round. So I want to make it special for kids, especially from a domestic violence situation. You know, so anybody at all that can donate anything, a tie, you know, put the gender on it, maybe something, you know, anything, pajamas, anything at all, should they know themselves we're doing it so long. It's funny uh, that you should say that, though, that, you know, we, we wouldn't really grasp the half of it. And, and we probably see here on the programme, we probably see more of it than most. And we, we wouldn't grasp the half of it. No, not at all. I mean, I, I, I literally, you know, when, when you're doing someone's hair, it's literally the fact that they're getting a wash cut and blow dry. It's not a dry cut. They're having the, shamp- the hair shampooed. They're having that interaction with us. They're so grateful, which I don't want people to be grateful because what we're doing is just an ordinary everyday thing. And I have no, you know, I'm not looking for gratitude. But, PJ, it does do your heart good. You, you said to me one time, Joe, that people, you've had people who actually started to cry just for oh, the yeah. touch of a human hand. Yeah, I always heard about the man that cried and he said it had nothing to do with what was happening. He said the fact that physical contact and people were talking to him. It was the actual physical. The girl at the sink shampooing his hair and he got emotion because the hot water and the person saying, how are you? Would you like a cup of tea? Will you have a biscuit? What's going on in your life? And PJ, I always say to people that come into us, it's not a charge, we're not doing anything. Grace of God, it could be any of us at any time. It could be any member of our families, you know what I mean? Yes. So it, it's, it's, you know, it's not the grace I am. People say, once oh, you grace, we're not. We're, we're just doing something that's easy to do because we have good people of Cork, your listeners, my clients, to all amazing supporters. But it is genuinely given to the people that need it. That is my big thing. I give it to a child. I wouldn't give a child an Easter egg with a black eye. Mm. Can you imagine that? Yeah. You know, and what, do you know what he said to me? Can I have one for my sister, please? Yeah. My heart broke nearly, you know what I mean? Literally nearly broke. Joe, 3rd of December, all day at the salon, Joseph's Hair Salon in Clashin, opposite Flannery's. They'll have the hair hairdos over in the salon and they'll have a fantastic party day with Santa and music and all of that at all across the road at Flannery's. And before, we'll talk again to Joe before that and we'll plug it again before that because he's one of the best in the business. He's one of the greats. Joe, Joe Byrne from Joseph's Hair Salon in Clashin. Selection boxes, and you want to give it to your for Christmas, just pop it. Just pop it in there, 3rd of December. Uh, It's a Sunday.
0818 96 96 96. Thank you, Joe. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. I've wanted to catch up with uh, Sarah for a little while now after poor old Molly had a nasty accident up uh, in the north, north side city near Glanmire and someone went away and left her after she'd been hit by a car. Sarah, how how is Molly now? Morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yeah, she's doing good. She's improving every day. Um, yeah, as I said, she's on the anti-inflammatories and hmm. she's doing well. What happened to her and when? So I was at home on a Saturday morning and I got a phone call from the cat hospital saying that they had Molly up there, that they, they were able to track me through her microchip. Okay. Um, that she'd been in a road uh, traffic accident on Churchill in Glenmire. Um, and they just said she wasn't in a good state, that she couldn't walk. Um, so then I went, I went straight up there. The cat hospital, that's the one was on the telly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they had um, two series there, and I was up in Barnvar Hill, um, but they're really good up there. Like Molly is the the patient there since she was since I adopted her. Like so, um, they're really nice up there. They took such great care of her. Where had they found her, or where had she been found? She'd been found in the middle of the road in Churchill. A lady stopped, and um, she said, "Like obviously, cards would have to swerve around her." Um, found her in the middle of the road. She tried to pick her up and she said Molly tried to run but she couldn't walk. Her back legs were just gone. So that's why they thought then her pelvis was fractured or her back legs were broken but nothing. You, you were worried about her at home because she never stays out long, does she? No, she would, she, she'd wander outside like, but she'd always come home. So it was, it was kind of um, strange that she you know, wandered that far. You must have been dreading it so when you got the call from the cat hospital. I was I was bawling crying. I swear, I say the vet thought I was just nuts because Molly is she literally is my best friend. Like I adore that cat. Um, like she was found in a plastic bag when she was um on the side of the road. Really? And I adopted her. Yeah, her mother was dead. Yeah. Someone had yeah, dumped someone her. Someone had thrown her there. Yeah. Oh God. So I adopted her and I just, you know, she's, and she's 60% blind as well. So I'm just so protective of her. Like, I just, I, I adore her. Okay, so you went up to the to the clinic or up to the cat hospital and um, yeah. she was in a sorry state? She was really bad, yeah, and she was on the drip and she was on, like, the cat morphine or whatever they give her and, you know, she was kind of out of it. But um, I went up then on the Sunday and... I was allowed to spend time with her. Like, they're really good up there like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she was in for a few days then. And then I was allowed to take her home, but she's in a, a dog crate now. So I have to keep her in there so that she doesn't jump up on stuff, you know, or injure her legs. Yeah. Has she broken bones? What did they find? No, they nothing at all. They, well, because she can't walk, they think it's a neurological thing. Oh, she still can't walk, can't she? Well, she can. She's getting better. Good. But um, they thought it was 
because there was no broken bones, they thought it was something linked with her head, you know, a neurological mm. when she got the slap of a car, was she in shock or something? Um, I don't even think they fully know themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the person who found her, you've made contact. I did. Her name is Leah. Um, she's a lovely woman. You know, I was saying, I have to get you a present. I have to repay you in some way, but she didn't want anything like that. She's... She just said, look, I'm just happy that, you know, Molly is okay and thanks for letting me know. Like, was Leah out driving or walking or what was she doing? She was driving down Churchill, yeah. And she picked up the little cat and brought it to the cat hospital. Yeah, and she has cats herself and, you know, she has cats uh, or she's with the cat hospital. So that's where she brought Molly straight away. Okay, so do they expect her to make a full recovery now? Hopefully, fingers crossed. Go back to finding her. She was in a yeah. plastic bag. Someone had just dumped her. Yeah, oh, somebody just dumped her, yeah. There was three cats and I adopted the three of them. The mother was dead. So I had the um, Mia, Molly and Dove. Mia, Molly and Dove. Mia, Molly and Dove, yeah. <laughs> and they're all jet black cats. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Mia... I only had her a small little while and she kind of died of a heart attack. Um, Dove then, he was like so headstrong. He, he just hated me. He ran away and he got, he ran out in the road and got knocked down. So Molly is, the, yeah, I still have her. And where did you find them? Oh, I didn't. It was a, it was a cat rescue place. Found them. Okay. It was Cork Cat Action Trust. Ah, great. You wonder, wouldn't you, Sarah? I mean, I have two cats myself. You you wonder, wouldn't you, how anyone could be so cruel? I could. I don't know how you could hurt an animal. I swear to God, I just don't understand. And then my other cat, she was abandoned as well. She only has three legs. (laughs) Biggie. Biggie. What? Biggie. (laughs) Yeah. Was she missing a leg when when you found her? She was, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness sake, that's guys. A three-legged cat called Biggie. (laughs) Yeah. And a a 60% blind cat. I'm I'm murder for the rescue. Do Molly and Biggie get on? No, they kill each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're a bit like that here with our two as well. Yeah, they just tolerate each other, like yeah. That's the great. That's the word for it. They tolerate one <laughs> another. They'd be, you know, they 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 look lying at lying at two ends of the same couch, and if one head moves too quickly, there's a hiss <laughs> and a spit. That's it. Yeah. They were fighting last night now over a plastic bag. I was like, oh, I'm going to kill two of them. <laughs> Sarah, I hope that Bali makes a full recovery yeah. and well done to Leah for, for, because, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. here's the thing. People would go to the assistance of an injured dog, but an awful lot of people would just leave a cat lying there. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, and uh, they, they don't know the fun it is to have a cat, those people. Yeah, and you see, cats have personalities as well. Like, you know, they're just, they're, my, my two are so different. You know what they say, don't you, Sarah? Dogs have owners, cats have staff. <laughs> staff was right. Spoiled rotten. <laughs> Listen, look after yourself and look after those lovely cats. Lovely talking to you. I will. Thank you, PJ. Lovely talking to you. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya. Lovely to hear that Molly is doing well. That said, it's a lot of fun. 
in that house. And that's it, program edited by Emma Rahe, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Podcasts are up ASAP, and we'll talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.